0: There are many ways you can support ministries and charities like Insight for Living Canada. One of those ways is through leaving a legacy gift in your will. Having a will and estate plan puts you in control, allows you to make decisions now, minimizes the tax burden on your estate, and maximizes the payout to your beneficiaries. At insightforliving.ca slash legacy, we have helpful information about how donating to charity through your estate plan benefits you. You have options when it comes to leaving a legacy, many of which provide significant tax benefits. For more information on legacy planning tax benefits, or to learn how to name Insight for Living Canada as a beneficiary, give us a call at 1-800-663-7639 or visit insightforliving.ca slash legacy.
1: The Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus believed they had silenced this radical man forever. To their surprise, the weekend that followed his death would demonstrate otherwise. Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll continues a message that started on our last program, in which he's describing the biblical details of the resurrection. This miraculous moment when Jesus rose from death to life changed history forever, and the personal implications for you are boundless. Coming from his biographical series on Jesus, Chuck titled his message, Not to Worry, He is Risen.
2: We're going to enjoy the opportunity to worship our Lord further. As we have often said, worship is a human response to a divine revelation. When we sit quietly before our Lord in our time of instruction, we worship Him in instruction. When we sing to Him in praise, we often use the word Alleluia, which is a Hebrew expression Praise the Lord. It's just been left in Hebrew. So you can leave today and tell someone you know that you now know Hebrew because you use the word a lot. Alleluia! It appears often in or hallelujah often appears in the in the scriptures, especially in the Psalms and in Psalms. We come together, however, standing at the uh, foot of the cross on level ground, all without status, rank, our significance, but all come as forgiven people to worship our God in song, in giving, and now in prayer. Will you bow with me, please? Uh, we cannot hear the report of the guns, our Father, or the sigh and um, groan of of an older man or woman making his or her way to some. Sight away from home, driven out by war and the ravages of war. There are lonely uh, soldiers and sailors and Marines today uh, serving you and airmen as well who, who are away from home as another crisis has struck our world. And it is easy in a place as comfortable and secure as this one to forget that a few miles away from us there are those who are starving and those who are desperate and those who are dying, lonely, confused, bewildered, baffled, angry, and some hostile, loading weapons and firing them and determined you know, in their pursuit uh, for more and more and more of their own way. In this enclave of peace and temporary quiet, we pause to give you thanks for the many things we have to enjoy. Many of us sitting alongside family members and or friends who worship with us today. Our Father, we pray that this time will be of special significance. Some will come to faith this day, if not here, in some place around the world. Perhaps a a military man sitting under the, the instruction of a chaplain. Perhaps some lost and bewildered young woman sitting in a worship service somewhere around this world hearing for the first time the claims of Jesus Christ. We're grateful, our Father, to have our heritage that we have. We come with our bruises and scars of the past and all the things that we bring with us to a place this public, and we thank you for giving a sense of relief and peace and joy in the midst of our worship together. I ask you, Father, to use your word today to help us see afresh and anew what it must have been like that first Easter morning when a handful of women stumbled upon an open tomb without a body and all that, that that led to in their lives and down through the century all the way to ours. We pray, Father, that you will remind us that there is no one who can satisfy like you can. No one on earth who can comfort us like you do. No one who will love us like you do. And so in the midst of all of these things through the morning, may we not miss the message that we come to focus on Christ, who loved us, gave himself for us, died, and rose again. That is why we sing and that is why we pray. In His strong name, we ask this. Amen.
1: You're listening to Insight for Living. To dig deeper into the Bible with Chuck Swindoll, be sure to download his Searching the Scriptures guide by going to insightforliving.ca slash studies. And now the message from Chuck titled, Not to Worry, He
2: is Risen. The devil and his demons must have danced with glee when they drove those spikes into Jesus' hands and feet. Finally, we've got him where we want him. They had worked so hard in the lives of the chief priests and the elders and Judas, right up to the end, getting him to that cross. They finally talked Pilate into it, and he waffled and finally gave in. And he said, here, take him and do with him as you please. And they jammed that crown of thorns on him, and they they scourged him, and they, they drove him to the cross, and they dropped it in a hole. And there he hung, and there he died. How grateful they must have felt when he said, it is finished, and he died. Ah, that's it. We win. We have bruised his heel. They remember the old prophecy. But like the devil and his demons often do, they quote only half the verse. They forget that the other side says, and he will crush your head. Not realizing Having died on the cross and paid the penalty for sins, it would only be a matter of hours before he would rise triumphant over sin and death and the grave. The devil and his demons were not far away when he was nailed to that cross. Nor was death. They didn't even have to break his legs, remember? They came to one of the thieves and they broke his leg so he couldn't move up any further to breathe, and he died. And they broke the other thief's leg, and then they came to Jesus, and he was already dead. And the centurion, looking up, said, "Surely this was the Son of God." Emphasis on was. He's gone, limp, lifeless, gray-white body. They laid in the tomb, and they rolled the stone in front of it. And they walked away wondering, will we ever be able to go on? And darkness... Remember reading in John chapter 20, verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. Remember in the reading of Matthew, the women were sitting there when he was entombed. They knew exactly where the site was. So they returned in the darkness of the morning and stumbled along only to find a shocking realization that this this hole is open they could see it in the in the dim-lit scene in front of them. Somehow the stone had been rolled uphill and pushed aside. Matthew tells us it was an angel. And coming to the gravesite itself and walking inside, you see they buried them in hillsides then and still do in some places in the east today. And they came into the little anteroom and they looked across and they squinted and they blinked and they couldn't believe their eyes. He was gone. They have taken away our Lord and we don't know where they have laid him. We don't know where he is. It's their first thought. Go from John 20 back to Luke 24. It's silent. It's dark. It's now mysterious. In fact, it's disquieting. Verse 5 intensifies it by saying they were terrified. What changed them from perplexity to terror? Well, before you get to terrified, we read that two men, we know from the other gospel writers they were angels, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. The darkness is now light. And the silence is now filled with the words of these angelic creatures. I'm telling you, this is a frightening moment. They ask, why are you seeking someone who is alive at a cemetery? Why do you seek the living one among the dead? It doesn't register. Until they say... Verse six. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Remember that? And they're standing, these women are standing there, spices in hands, trying to remember, and it clicks. They get it. He's alive. No one has taken the body. He has, in the power of the living God, been raised from the dead. He is alive. Now, just as you would have done, they respond predictably. Verse 8, they remembered his words. Verse 9, they returned from the tomb and they reported... All these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, don't you wonder what the eleven thought when they heard that? You got to go back to John 20 to see what the eleven thought. These great men of faith, trained by Jesus, living on the edge of confidence. Verse That's the wrong passage. What's the matter with me? Luke 24 again. <laughs> Sorry. Should have stayed where I was. There it is, verse 11. Luke twenty four eleven. When they heard what the women said, these apostles responded, Nonsense! Now, isn't that reassuring? Nonsense! In fact, one of my, one of my uh, resources said that the term that is used here and by the way it's used nowhere else in the scriptures it was a term used by medical writers of that day to describe the baffling words of fevered patients who were insane <laughs> they saw these women and they say you speak as insane people what do you mean telling us that he has been raised he's been raised from the dead this is nonsense get a life you have been, you know, you got up too early. You're seeing things. You're imagining things. That's the idea. Nonsense. And they would not believe them. Now it's time. Now, thank you. John chapter 20. Having said that, two of them had their curiosity get ahead of them, and they decided they needed to go and check it out for themselves. Understand why they would say it was nonsense. In the passage I read earlier in Matthew, in the scripture reading, I, I, rem- I was choosing that on purpose because Pilate had been visited by the chief priests and the elders who had said, We understand he's made this prediction that he will rise from the dead. And it will be just like one of his disciples to come and steal him away and then announce there's been a resurrection. And the deception will be worse now than it was when he came and claimed to be Messiah. So would you please send a guard and seal the tomb? Pilate, with a wave of his hand, says, you've got your own guard. You make it. You make it secure. I've done all for you. I'm going to do. And so they probably chose the temple police who would be determined no one would get into that tomb, and they sealed the tomb, and they set a guard day and night, only to be overwhelmed by the angelic appearance. And the body is gone. By the way, let me make this real clear. The tomb was not removed to let Jesus, the stone was not removed to let Jesus out. It was removed to let people in. When you're in a resurrected body, you don't need to have stones removed to pass through them. You see, the whole molecular structure of the body is changed in a glorified state. That's why when you want to know what your resurrection body will be like, you need to study the resurrection body of Jesus. As we'll see before this study is over, he passed through a closed door and went through space quickly. In his glorified state, space and matter were not obstacles He had come out before the stone was removed. The stone was removed to let them see in, which brings us to this case in John chapter 20, verse 3. Peter, therefore, went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. There's kind of a foot race. I think it's a little bit humorous that John wants to make it real clear he outran Peter there's just something about men that just want to make it clear who got there first. Three times he makes that clear in a in a quick record here. Verse 4, the two were running together. The other disciple ran ahead, faster than Peter, and came to the tomb first. Now he's John the writer, the man whose name appears at the at, at the top of this book, John the apostle. He comes first. I want you to see three different sights, that is, sights from the eye. John arrives first, and verse 5 says, Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Blepo is the Greek word, and it's the word for just casual, but not an inaccurate sighting. You'll be driving home from church, and you'll come to a red light. You'll see it. You'll blepo the light. You'll stop. You'll wait till the light turns green. Then you'll go on. It's accurate. It's casual. You've done it a hundred or more times. It's there. You know what color it is, and you go on when it changes to green. That's the way this word is used. John looks in, sees the grave close, doesn't register. He sees that obviously the body is gone, but he can't put it together. Now, notice the next verse. Verse 6. Simon Peter, therefore, also came following him. Note that. And entered the tomb. And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there. Get out of the way, John. Peter comes up. Move. This is so like Peter. And he kind of barges in. And he beholds, Theoreo is this word. It's the word from which we get, we get the word theorize. Peter stands there and he studies what he didn't expect to see. He's intrigued by it. Perhaps it would be used for a physician who is doing surgery and comes upon a tumor he didn't realize was there, and he theorizes. He looks closely, and before the excising of it, if in fact he chooses to do that, he examines with great care. He theoreos this tumor. He takes his time. He examines it. He didn't expect to see what he saw. Several years ago, uh, Dallas Seminary's Mount Hermon conference Uh, included a couple of our faculty members, which we always do at our August conference there. And we invited Dr. Bob Pine, who was a part of our theology department. And Bob has a house full of kiddos, and they were looking forward to the trip, especially Bob's little boy, who heard that they were going to drive from Texas to Northern California, and en route they would see the Grand Canyon. The little kid was thrilled with the thought of seeing the biggest canyon in the country. Parents built it up. You know how you'll do to keep kids from killing each other in the back seat of the car on a long trip. And they kept talking about this grand canyon. You've just never seen anything like it. So when they get there, they stop and they all get out and they look. <gasps> and the little kid's saying, oh, Where is the gun? Where are the bullets? And they said, What? We're going to see the grand cannon. I thought we were going to see this big, big cannon. Where is it? He did not see what he expected to see. Pretty disappointed little kiddo. Peter isn't disappointed. He's intrigued as he theorizes what he's looking at. What was it that held his attention? I have uh, Merrill Tenney to thank. For these very insightful observations, listen to these few words. Why should the condition of the grave clothes excite Peter's amazement? There's a strong hint that the clothes were not folded as if Jesus had unwound them and then deposited them in two neat piles on the shelf. The word used to describe the napkin or the head cloth Does not connote a flat folded square like a table napkin, but a ball of cloth. Now picture this, a ball of cloth bearing the appearance of being rolled around an object that was no longer there. The wrappings were in position where the body had lain and the head cloth where the head had been separated from the others by the distance from the armpits to the neck. The shape of the body was still apparent in them, but the flesh and bone had disappeared. It was as if you expected to see a hand in a glove and all you saw was a glove still looking as though it was filled with the hand. He's standing there imagining if someone stole the body, it would have been impossible for them to have rewrapped the shape of a body and left it intact like a cocoon. That's what he saw. He saw the mummy-like wrappings. He saw the headpiece as if it were still around the head, tied beneath the chin to keep in skeletal form, the body from that jaw from opening and leaving an ugly appearance. He saw the headpiece, he saw the mummy wrappings, but there was no body. Tinney continues, if the hypothesis be correct, and it seems to follow the facts, how was the corpse extracted from, extricated from the wrappings since they would not slip over the curves of the body? when tightly wound around it. No robbers would ever have rewound the wrappings in their original shape, for there would not have been time to do so. They would have flung the clothes down in disorder and fled with the body. Fear of detection would have made them act as hastily as possible. You got the picture? He's standing here looking at what was once a body with wrappings and now there is wrappings with no body. And he cannot figure it out.
1: Well, this is one of those programs when we wish we had more time. Chuck Smendahl has much more to say about this pivotal moment in human history. So please keep listening because we'll present the final portion of this study on Monday's edition of Insight for Living. Chuck titled this encouraging message, Not to Worry, He is Risen. This is message number 16 in a comprehensive 20-part biography of Jesus that will conclude soon. If you're prepared to learn more about him, let me suggest a practical next step. Chuck wrote a biography on the life of Christ called Jesus, the Greatest Life of All. This book is the perfect choice for your private study, and it's popular in small group settings as well. In fact, I saw a recent note on Insight for Living's website from one of your fellow listeners. It said, Chuck, our book club at our church, is currently reading one of your books. We are all thoroughly enjoying your insights into becoming more Christ-like. Chuck's biography on Jesus is titled, Jesus, the Greatest Life of All. By reading about him, it will help you deepen your respect for his sacrifice and cause you to love him even more. To purchase a copy today, call 1-800-663-7639. Well, Insight for Living is made possible not through the purchase of books and other resources, but through voluntary donations. In fact, we couldn't supply this daily teaching program without the partnership of friends like you. We've created a simple means for automating your monthly giving. Becoming a monthly partner is a convenient way to support Insight for Living. More importantly, it's a tremendous way to multiply the impact of your charitable giving over the course of one year. We are deeply grateful for those who are willing to become monthly partners. To take that step today, go to insightforliving.ca slash partner. To send a donation in the mail, you can write to us at Insight for Living Canada, Post Office Box Number 8, Station A, Abbotsford, BC, V2T 6Z4.
2: Hi, I'm Chuck Swindoll with Insight for Living Ministries. We have produced an audio program just for kids and their parents called Paws and Tails. It's full of fun and music and while all of that's going on, we're teaching your kids all about the God of the Bible, the God who loves them. I promise you're gonna laugh and, and you're gonna be delighted as Paws and Tails Encourages your kids to imagine God's love. And this is Dave Carl, creator of Paws and Tales. You all know that Chuck is a master
1: storyteller. Well, he is the inspiration for how Paws and Tales is written and produced. We are here to teach and inspire little hearts to know God and love Him, and we do it through story and a whole lot of fun just what you'd expect from Chuck Swindoll. Well, I'd like to invite you, the parent, to listen in with your kids. I bet you will enjoy it, and perhaps you'll learn something too about just how much God loves his children. Join us at pauseandtails.org to start your journey into the world of Paws and Tails. I'm Bill Meyer. Join us when Chuck Swindoll continues his biographical study of Jesus called The Greatest Life of All. That's Monday on Insight for Living.
2: The preceding message, Not to Worry, He is Risen, was copyrighted in 1999. And the sound recording was copyrighted
0: in 2024 by Charles R. Swindoll, Incorporated. All rights are reserved worldwide. Duplication of copyrighted material for commercial use is strictly prohibited.